insight and awareness spiritual explorer, soul intuitive, emotional and spiritual mentor and award-winning author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome explorers to the Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorers podcast. I'm your host Lorraine Nylon and I have the absolute privilege of having Chester Hamilton here today who is an arts entrepreneur, author and speaker and I love what you've got written here, the queen of pivots and not just turns. How are you going? <laughs> no, I'm, I am pivoting. <laughs> Very good. I'm I think glad we you all are pivoting, and I'm and I'm, I'm I'm glad that I pivoted your way, and I'm so excited to be here to have this conversation. So thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm interested about your book, Handle the Horrible, Change, Triage, and Joy. Could you tell us about that? Yes. So Handle the Horrible is something that I wrote during the pandemic. And, and, you know, kind of that, that 2021 weird space where we just had time to sit and think and reflect. And I was navigating my small businesses um, that are dance studios for children and how we would make it to the other side, how we would continue to inspire and instill perseverance and resilience in these young artists. And as I was having this, you know, reflective moment, the, the book kind of started more as a journal and I would just write things that I've experienced, ways that I've coped, perseverance, and this common thread of how the performing arts has kind of helped move me forward throughout my life, whether that's dealing with death, divorce, miscarriage, grief, um, business struggles, the silly things that sometimes we get stuck um, stressing about. So it was just a really honest and authentic look of, hey, this is me as a person. This is me as a female entrepreneur. This is me as a person that loves the performing arts and, and me as a human. And this is a story that I want to give to you about me so that we can come together and connect deeper um, as humans. Do you, do you think that we as humans are having trouble connecting? No, I, I think we crave connection, right? I do. I think deep down that we crave connection, but I think we have a hard time. And this is something that I've struggled with in the past too, of being as wholly authentic as we should be as we make those connections. We think that society is telling us that connection has to look a certain way. And because of that, we build these barriers and facades that aren't actually our true selves. And I think, you know, and, I, and this is a work in progress. I'm not, a, I'm not a master. I'm certainly, um, you know, still practicing and, and rehearsing all these things. But I think the more true that we can be to ourselves, and the more we can share our authentic story, the more we build these really organic and authentic relationships. Definitely. See, I, I still class myself as an evolving soul. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm always going to be like, that's not, you know, I even tell my students this, like, this is, we're not working towards an arrival. Yeah. We're, we're working, we're, we're living a journey. Yeah. And, we, and it's that, those experiences that give us the, the richness of life. And sometimes when, I mean, I'm guilty of this years ago, that I was so chasing a destination that the the actual journey became a struggle to me because I was too busy trying to find the finish line. Every time I got near the finish line, I'd move it myself. Yeah, you would say, what's next? Yeah, yeah. So, that, so it takes away the joy. 
takes away the fun. It really does. It really does. When you're looking at internal struggles and battles and things like that, how have the arts helped you deal with those? Ah, so, I, you know, one thing that I think is so amazing about the arts is that it teaches us empathy and that power of connection. Because, you know, I always I like to think of it as how often are we sitting in quiet, you know, whether it's in a theater um, for a live performance or um, in a movie theater or we're looking at a piece of art or we're reading this story and we're getting so immersed in someone else's journey. And hopefully through their journey, we're learning more about a collective society. We're learning more about ourselves. Do we see ourselves in them? Do we see ways we can improve in them? Do they inspire us? Um, and, and I think that's really powerful when we're able to kind of just like take that pause and say, what is this art teaching me about who I am and how I can also use that knowledge to move myself and my position in the society forward? Well, it is interesting because we all sit there and we we do. We identify with different characters regardless of what we're watching or reading, etc. And and we do like to see ourselves in them. And we we always like to see the person with the struggle find the solution. Yeah, you know, it's even like with, you know, Disney movies, for example, I, I feel more tortured watching them as an adult than I did as a child because the struggle becomes so real and you know it's going to be okay, right? But it, it's it's that like pivotal moment where you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, I hope the animal makes it. And <laughs> <laughs> there's this inner struggle, but and they do. Um, but but we just, you know, I think we have this innate desire to just for there to be peace. Right. And that's that's the struggle in the society that we're living in is so many things are counterintuitive to that. And that's why I think that the more we can connect with art and the deeper that we can connect with art, the more we can find our peace so that we can then project that outwards. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. Natalie, that was on one of the other podcasts, she said peace was her, the ultimate success. If you And I, I thought that was a beautiful quote is that, you know, once, once you find that inner, inner peace within yourself, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that your world doesn't turn upside down every now and then and, and you do a few spins. It's just that you can come back to that place. You can get, you can reground yourself, recenter yourself. Yeah, and that's what we're all looking for. Yeah, and, and but, you know, some days, some days it works better than others. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. In your, in your book, what, what sort of things did you pull apart like that? What did you learn yourself about when you wrote this book? Yeah, so, you know, one thing that I realized in writing this book is it's very easy to suppress the moments that we don't necessarily want to remember or have conversations about. But for me, writing those moments was so cathartic. Um, it really just kind of allowed me to process them in this very quiet, private space because, you know, when I, like I was saying, when I started writing, it was more of a coping mechanism and then it was just gelling together so nicely. And, you know, I'm not sure that the book is necessarily as perfect as maybe I would have liked it, but it just felt like such a perfect time to say really hard, horrible things happen and 
we we can work through them, we can handle them, and we can still have this really amazing life of joy and peace and optimism, despite obstacles, disruptions, death, loss, all of these things that are universal, but that we just don't talk about. Yeah. So um, it was it was in that process I, that I felt more connected to my voice. And, you know, during that, while I was writing it, I, I became a mother. Um, it was all kind of happening and, and swirling together um, during this pandemic period. You know, we, we kind of hit the pandemic in March of 2020. I just found out that um, I was pregnant. I was very excited. And then I had a miscarriage in May of 2020. And, and you know, and that was kind of um, just you know, a very sad moment in a very uncertain time. Mm. And it was after that that I was kind of just like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to hand this to the universe. And then that August, I became pregnant, pregnant again and then had a very healthy boy in May of 2021. So, so this writing was kind of happening over top of that journey. And it gave me time to reflect on, I lost both of my parents in my childhood. So, you know, revisiting that um, and, and just kind of, you know, thinking about all of these things that we go through and you know, being a business owner, I would I would hear so many gripes and grumps and concerns about things that maybe don't carry the weight that they need to. Yeah. So it became this exercise for me of how do we intentionally direct our energy to things that matter, and how can we not let the things that don't matter that much, you know, how how can we make sure that they're not taking up too much space? Sometimes we use the things that don't matter to be distractions. So that we can, yeah, concentrate on them so we can, you know, sort of look at the topic of something while we avoid all the issues. All the issues. And and then, and then you're just stacking, right? You're just, you're, everything's getting buried deeper. And, and I feel like that's in my twenties when I was kind of just starting out, that's what I did. Like I had a very successful facade but there was just so much buried and, and so it was very inauthentic. So I've, I, you know, I've spent so much time kind of working back towards that and to be able to package this up um, to share with people has just been very powerful. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, cause I've read a lot about suppression is that when, when you are suppressing and it becomes habitual, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I used to say one of the patterns I had to break was I would go into shock about what different people would say or do or whatever was occurring and then I would suppress and then I would reset to like functionality, logic, all those things. But I left all those emotions stored in my system. And then after a while what you're doing is you are, you've got to hold yourself up above everything you're suppressing. The more stuff you suppress, the harder it becomes, which in one way is good because that's, on a soul level, what that's doing is, right, eventually you're going to hit the wall where you can't suppress anymore, so you're going to have to do something about it. So, yes. <laughs> and I think that we're clever souls like that. We go, right, this is you know, somewhere along the line. My denial's breaking. And then, then it's dealing with the aftermath of all that coming back up. But sometimes we need a bit of hindsight to be able to look back as well. So there's, there's all these different ways. But then once we start building a facade, an image over the top of it, the problem is we start protecting the image and the facade and then we do lose that authenticity. And then it becomes about ticking boxes. Once I do this, I'll feel better. Once I achieve this, I'll feel better. 
um, and we start looking for things to make us feel better without really dealing with ourselves, which is the only way we're going to really feel better. Right. Yeah. I mean, the phrase that you said is beautiful. You know, the the denial was breaking, and and I think that's so powerful. And I think any time you can kind of crack away and dig deeper. Mm. Like I was just saying earlier, you know, that that's kind of where the magic is on because we can all put forth, you know, passive listening or, you know, saying what we think another person wants to say. But, you know, there's just so much power in the stories, even even the deep hard stories. Um, death, for example, you know, it's it's really hard for people to talk about death and loss and grief. But it's something that we all experience. Um, like you just can't escape the experience of it. And, you know, I used to not share my story about losing my parents because I thought that it would, you know, weaken me. And that came from an experience where when I got a full academic scholarship to college, there was someone at my high school that said, I, I think the only reason that you got that scholarship is because both of your parents are dead. So how, how old were you when they, when they passed? I was... I was almost two years old when my dad passed in just an unfortunate trucking accident. And then I was nine when my mom passed away from breast cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a really unusual, you know, childhood in a lot of ways. Um, And and who raised you after mom passed? So so my mom's sister, my aunt, um, retired early from the Air Force and moved back to Tennessee, which is where I grew up, and and raised me there. Um, and then I moved to I moved for university, and then recently in 2017, she actually moved back here and now works at the dance studios. Um, so <laughs> it's it's really you know this great full circle story. Um, and I say that in retrospect, you know, because as as you get older you realize kind of the sacrifice of, of someone giving up everything to to step in and to finish, you know, raising me and, and giving me this like normal, normal sense of upbringing and always saying, you know, that your circumstances can motivate you, but they can't solely define you. And, and there's so much power to that as, as like I've been in this kind of reflective period, but you know, like I was saying, other people and their narratives can be very hurtful. And because of that comment about receiving the scholarship due to the death of my parents, you know, I just, I stopped talking about my parents ever being dead. And I would just say my family and and I just kind of avoided that topic. And it wasn't until a few years ago in the dance studios, um, we had a student and her dad had passed away and she was having a really hard time. And one of my staff members came to me and said, I know you don't share your story a lot, but I think this child would really benefit from hearing about what's happened to you. And so I brought the the child and her mom into the office and she brought a picture of her dad with her. um, That's who had passed. And, And she looked at me and she said, I didn't know there were other people like me out there. Yeah. And and that was such a powerful, right? That relatability, um, and and that was just one of those moments where I was like, why, like, why am I not talking about this? There's nothing to hide. It's just it's it's a truth. Yeah. Um, and and it's 
There's a couple of things in that. It's fascinating how the power of words, you know, the one statement that someone can make and at that time when you completely absorb it, which we've all got, you know, if we all sit there and think for five minutes, you know, we can pull up quite a lot of them. I remember when, I remember when so-and-so said this to me and sometimes unpacking that too is a, is a big thing. Pressed with your, I'm impressed with your auntie. You know, how good's that? How good is she? You know, like that is a beautiful thing that um, that she's, she would do. I would have done that with my nephew and nieces too. You know what I mean? So that that's another purity of love right there. Yeah. And then to be able to, you know, one of the problems that we do have is that we're, we're so susceptible to those those kind of statements that we hide some of our truths because we don't want, to hear more that could impact us, so it kind of it does when you when you think about that little girl going. I, I thought I was the only one this happened to. Is that you know, she's one of many. Those conversations yeah. are things that people can really benefit from. And and you know, it just it made me realize when I had been that age. What if there was someone sitting there that said, "Hey, you know, that I was in that position." Um, so my my goal is that I really just want to use my voice to share what I've experienced. Um, not to say that this is the right way or this is the wrong way, but to say, you know, if these are, if these are things that you're experiencing or that you're going through, then they're, you know, we're in alignment. Like other people have experienced that truth, that too. And I think that helps people get closer to their truth. For sure. So if you could talk to your young self, what would be one of the best advice you could give your young self? You know, I was I was a quirky kid. I, I was I was so unique. I was weird. I was unique. You know, I was, and and I love that so much about who I was because I think it's given me so many of the tools that I have today um, that I've been able to use. But I feel like I had this this struggle of what is cool. And, and I see so many of, of the youth, you know, struggling with that question now. And, you know, the, tr- the truth is what's cool is your authenticity. And I just, you know, I, I wrestled with that and I struggled with that. And I feel like there was a lot of, of misdirected energy towards, oh, should I be wearing something else? Or, oh, should that person be my friend? Um, or trying to know, perfect the image. Yeah, yeah, trying to kind of fit that funnel. Yeah. But but what is the funnel? Yeah. It's a falsity. And it's really funny because even when we we pull apart someone that just lives purely in the image because that, you know, that that's what they're trying to do, people will pull them apart because they're not authentic. And then when they're authentic, they might judge them for not fitting into the their their perception, perception of what yeah their perception of what they should be doing so it's kind of it is and I think you know you need a bit of maturity before you can actually get there where you go okay well this is my life so you know I'll turn up the way I want to and then I'll see I'll see what happens because you you can waste a lot of time and you can and do a lot of damage to yourself trying to perfect the image. So. You can, and there's also there's this power in the evolution too, and and a lot of times, you know, as as you're evolving on this on this journey, 
and making choices and changing. Some people don't understand that as readily as others. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think just also just embracing those around you that are growth mindset oriented is really important. Yeah, it's always handy to have people. I've been I've been privileged that I've had people that you could have those deep, deep sort of discussions with, so that you could pull things apart and just look at them, generally with a laugh and a giggle and and not malicely, but you know, right. like just like, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense. What am I doing that for? So, so what do you think? We're going to ask you the big question: What does humanity need to understand and acknowledge to evolve? You know, I think, and and this is something, this is a question that excites me because with the dance studios, I, I feel like I've run this mini ecosystem. We have about 700 students, so that's 700 families coming together, all different um, walks of life, right? All different types of people. And I, I really and truly believe that what humanity needs is empathy and connection and community. And I think those three things, you know, I was recently doing a seminar and it was about how to how to remove negativity from your life. And negativity in its purest sense is misalignment. It's not I'm right and you're wrong or I'm good or you're bad. It's it's we're we're just simply misaligned. And I think the more confident we can be in ourselves and our voice and the more that we can use that to to generate community and connection and to teach people that just because someone's story doesn't look the same as their story doesn't mean that it's right or wrong or good or bad, but it's, I want to hear where you've been so that I can support you, but so that I can also empower the journey that I'm on as well. And the more that we can do that and practice that each and every day, the better we're all going to be collectively for it. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. So we, for you, for the listeners that don't know, you learned a lot through sort of the Dance Academy. So your other book is about what you learned in that, is that? Yeah. So, so my, my first book is called Trash the Trophies, How to Win Without Losing Your Soul. And Trash the Trophies, it's set to the backdrop of our decision to stop participating in competitive dance, to rebrand um our institutions, but it's really a conversation about personal and professional transformative leadership as it related to that. That you were running dance classes and and obviously, yeah, yeah, so so like an academy kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then you you decided not to participate in the 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 competitions. Yeah. So yours is for, for pleasure. Fun exercise. It's for, it's for humanity, right? <laughs> Self-expression. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and we have some um, philanthropic components, and and you know, the, the direction we wanted to move to was how can we make sure that we're training excellent dancers, but even more amazing humans. Right. Because even if you're not going to dance beyond your time at the dance institute, you are going to be a human. And, you know, there's there's so many skills and tools about life that we can teach through these extracurricular verticals, you know, whether it's dance or swimming or karate or sports, you know, but the skills are, um, I mean, limitless, truly, yeah. when you look at it from confidence, time management, discipline, teamwork, 
goal setting, resilience. Um, there's so many. And I think when we're really intentional about how we use our time with these youth to make sure that, that we're not only teaching them the skill, but that we're digging deeper, almost like reverse going into those layers so that they don't have to, to bury things and hide them. But we're giving them the skills so that from the base up, um, they can feel comfortable and complete in their humanity so that they can take that and spread it outward. Very good. We like that. And did you find, did the competitions, you obviously learned a lot about yourself in those competitions. And, and what, what stood out for you the most? I learned, I learned so much and, and, you know, it's, it was an interesting journey because I was a competitive dancer and then I had also been a choreographer for dance competitions, a judge for dance competitions, and then had my studio participating in them as well. And it was, um, it was a combination of all of the factors, you know, it's a deregulated and profitized industry. And I always like to say I'm not anti-competition, but I believe in purposeful competition. You have to say, like, what is what is the outcome? What is the goal of the competition? And what I was seeing in our community is that the competition was actually taking negativity and turning it inward. And right. there was no there was no standardized metric of success. So if, if a student was succeeding, you know, whatever that means on any given day, they would feel that they had trained out of our institution or if they were losing, you know, whatever that means, then they felt like we weren't challenging them enough. So it was at like our evaluation was being placed on this third party industry. And that made me feel very uncomfortable um, because I wanted our training to speak for itself and to speak holistically to the vision. And that is seeing every child for where they're at within their journey. You know, you may have a child walk through the door that may be very raw in their technique, but have so much potential and they just need an instructor that's going to cultivate and encourage and pull that out of them. And that's not what this competitive environment breeds. Um, it, it really encourages um, repetition, duplicity, trickery. You know, it kind of wants you like at, at a certain space and it almost smothers the growth. So I, I feel very good. You know, we made that decision in 2015, 16. So we're about seven, eight years outside of that now. And, and I'm wholly confident that's one of the best business decisions that I've made. Yeah, I, I can see the benefit for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, or even for, yeah. their, for their self-esteem. Like, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter what you do, what's, whether it's a sport or, or, you know, arts or anything creative that that should be helping your self-esteem and your confidence not pushing it down That's exactly the, and you know that the, there needs to be joy and, and there was just so much anxiety um, so much tension between the parent and the child that were participating which would then you know turn into tension with the institution and it's just you know these are things people are choosing to do for fun yeah. so, <laughs> what? let's not make them miserable why they're doing it right right so the, so the fun has to exist and the return on investment has to make sense so that's you know it was it was interesting when we did it because in our industry that's kind of one of the check boxes of what you do to be successful so when we made this move you know it was very contrary to what people would presume you should do and 
I mean, several people said that I would lose everything that I had built, that I wouldn't be successful, that I was compromising my reputation. But my gut was telling me that, that where we were wasn't where we were supposed to be. And, and I think there's power in going beyond the norms to do better. And I think that's something, you know, I've worked with a lot of studios that have wanted to make shifts. And that's something they wrestle with is the fear, the fear of the mm-hmm. perception. Um, so that, you know, that was kind of a bridge to handle the horrible is, you know, I, I laid out so much in the first book, just kind of about that piece. But then I was like, well, well what if I just laid out even more? And, and we were all able to just, you know, walk forward and, and be a little more honest and a, and a little more without fear. Yeah. Fears, uh, it doesn't matter what you're trying to evolve or come out of the familiar, you know, the status quo, because fear, fear will hold you there. And then you have to, you actually have to make the decision to walk through the fear. And then on the yeah. other side, it, it, most times, most times you have the benefit of of confronting that and not staying stuck. But which you, is, you, do, you have to get through that tunnel. Like yeah. you have, it, it's really hard. Yeah. Always yeah. like to say that too. <laughs> because people are like, oh, you did it. Um, and, and that's what I, and even in the book, I remember the first book I remember writing, like when you're going through these periods of like radical change, you know, like people aren't popping the champagne and blasting the confetti cannons or calling you a game changer. It takes so much time for that to happen. And and you, you do, you're so right. You have to push through and, and hold tight to that truth. Um, but just in conversations I've had, I'm concerned about how much people don't do because of their fear. Yeah, that is true. And they're the things that they will regret. And then and time moves quickly on us. So it does. Yeah, it can lose a lot of time very quickly. And a lot of the times what people are doing is running the belief of not being good enough. You know, like so so they recognize a potential or something they're interested in and then they 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 feel the fear and then, then it triggers the all their not good enough stuff. And it's I always say, Well, who's judging who's good enough really anyway? Exactly. That's and, you know, it's adorable. I talk about that and I tell my students this regularly that everyone is so concerned with themselves. Like no it's, one is thinking about the person next to them because they're so worried about, you know, their laundry list of all the things that they have going on. But we lose, I, I we do, and I, you know, I'm a victim of this too, that we lose so much energy concerned about these false yeah. Presumptions from other people, and and it's really funny. So when you're unpacking, because I, I there's a story in one of my books about a, a moment where where somebody says to me, "Don't worry about, but you know, I won't. You have to read the book if you want to know the story." But it's like you know, basically says, "Stop worrying about what everyone else is thinking. They're too busy worrying about themselves." And yes. um, that was like a pivotal moment. I remember just standing there going. Yes, that is true. You know, because you it is. you you're so consumed with your own thoughts that you get get stuck in it. So, it and there's, there's always somebody that will come along and reaffirm you're not good enough because they're trying to pull themselves up with their their negative judgment. So, you, you know, there's yeah. always someone that'll do that. It's you know, I I when I was pregnant, 
everybody would tell me like the worst things about <laughs> pregnancy or being a mom. Like somebody was like, well, your husband are never going to have dinner together again. And it was actually, it was really concerning me that, that people were just having all these negative emotions, you know, tied to becoming a parent. And I, I spoke to my therapist about it and, and she said, you know, a lot of times people share kind of the most tortured pieces of their narratives yeah. because that's what, that's what has weighed them down and they're projecting that on you, but that doesn't have to become part of your script. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's that's a really powerful piece of advice because we are the director of our narratives. You know, there's so yes. many parallels between art and life. Um, so however we want our story to go, like we do have control of that. Um, and you know, now sometimes people will just say like wild things, and and we can still listen and understand. We don't have to argue or or fight it, but we don't have to absorb it. Yeah, that's powerful. It's the non-absorbing it, which is the big thing. Because I, I always say to my clients, and I've had to say it to myself many times, if it's hitting you, it's hitting something in you. Otherwise, it bounces off. If you're going to try and resolve it, look to see what, what it came in on. Resolve that, and then from then on, you'll just bounce that. And there is, you know, because growing up, you would hear these things like bounce off and and. You know, I would always wonder, like, well, did that bounce off or not? And I would be thinking about it for weeks, so it didn't bounce off. But there is, there <laughs> that's is a bit a of an visceral, indicator. <laughs> yes, yes, there is like a visceral differentiation of like understanding, like, okay, like I'm doing a, you know, something that might have bothered me ten years ago isn't going to bother me today because I've grown and I'm now recognizing that this isn't going to hit the way that it used to. And like you were saying, those things that have recurring patterns there's likely something deeper yeah I I remember a conversation and um, lovely lady and she she was uh, ruminating about what someone had said to her and it was why why did they say this why did they say this to me and why why did they pick me to say that so it was all this why 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 and I and she had all these answers oh maybe they could see me you know maybe they could see it on me and I have you ever just thought that person might have been a bit of an asshole? You know, like just <laughs> cut to the chase. <laughs> that was an asshole. Just a pure organic, yeah. straight up, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and just leave it at that because that was very rude what was said to you. Leave it at that. But, you know, that while you're doing the why, you're absorbing more and more. That is, and yes, more of that energy. Yeah, and you're creating the answers to why as well. That person's gone, yeah. left the building a long time ago. You're, you're making up a narrative that doesn't matter. And, you're filling and, in the gaps now. Yeah, you're, you're playing, you know, this, this game that I used to play in elementary school called Mad Libs where, you know, you put in like the noun and the verb and the adjective and it's just, it all becomes so silly. And, and I've tried to be very intentional and I'm not always good about it, but I, I like to say, is it keeping me still or is it moving me backwards or is this moving me forwards? That's wherever I want to go. Um, and a lot of times, like when you're in this spin cycle of what someone has said or what something has done, it, it can just take up too much space. That's hindering good stuff from coming in. So I'm, like I said, like still practicing and getting better at this. But if you can get, if you can kind of carve that negativity away and open up space for more of the good, um, it, ke- it keeps us moving. It keeps us in motion. It doesn't get us stuck 
um, in that rut because in ruminating about their issues, their negativity, what they said, it it does affect you as well. Oh, for sure. And yeah, and that's that's why that. if you understand concepts like that, that means something to you. They're going to mean something to you. So that's why we use the quotes. You know, it's like okay. We just get a selection of quotes and we throw them out there. But it's like that might resonate with someone and then they, they have to get their own meaning from that quote. But once you get a few concepts that you can use as anchor points, then it is when the world starts spinning on you or you are ruminating like, you know, you're an Olympic champion that you can come back and go, all right, now's the time I can anchor to that quote, that quote or that concept yeah. and say, how does that apply now? And that's how you stay present. You know, so we, yeah. we think we have to work out how to stay present, but sometimes we need those anchor points that bring us back. So I get us back on track. And, yeah. and it's something even with my team members at the studios, it's, it's something that we do, like if we're in conversation, you know, and, and say something trivial has happened or there's been like an irritation in the ecosystem and, you know, I always say fact over emotion. Like, let's look at it for what it is. And, and I mean that in like a this spin cycle. I don't believe that we should cut ourselves off from emotion. But, you know, if it's a situation, like, let's, let's not let us drag us down. Like, let's look at it for what it is. And then let's come together and let's continue moving forward. Otherwise, we're all stealing each other's time by going on and on and on about it. And time is our most valuable resource. So how can we um, just be very intentional about how we're using each minute? Yeah, and and when you get to the facts of something, then you can understand what emotions are relevant. Are, are appropriate, exactly. Yes. No, it's so true, yeah, because sometimes it can be easier to go emotion first, oh, facts yeah. later. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's normally what we do. <laughs> yeah, and that's when we can get kind of dangerous. It's much better to say, here are the facts. Yeah. And, and you know, if you do kind of have that fact-based approach, if it's a pattern or if it's something that needs to be addressed in another way, then you, you have the facts lined up. But you're not going headfirst emotion every single time. You're looking at it as a situation, especially in something like, a, you know, a business or an institution where there's policies and protocols and um and, and things that can kind of come ahead of the emotion. And for some situations, that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's not to lose, like, grace, compassion, empathy, because I believe in all those things, too. But I just, to protect ourselves and, and you know, to safeguard our time with the people that we love, I think it is really important to say, is this taking up too much space? Or yeah. am I handling this as efficiently as possible? And I think when you do get to the actual facts of things, regardless of whether it's a business thing or a, a relationship thing, but when you get to the facts of it, it gives you a platform for your feelings to be expressed, like the mm -hmm. truth of what you feel. Where yeah. when you can't get to the facts, so the truth is then hidden, all you get is grenades full of judgment and emotions and because we don't know what to do with them you know so we the confusion keeps coming up yeah. and then it becomes about what we think we want and and then about protecting our image and securing our beliefs 
Whereas when you can get to the facts, it's a game changer. So it's not. And it's you don't not, have to be so defensive. No, because it's, it's just a very straightforward. Um, and it, it you don't have to be angry. You can be disappointed, you know, on occasion. Um, but it's it's just like you were saying, like you know, we can't take responsibility for what someone else is bringing to the situation. Yeah. We can only take responsibility for our response and how we navigate it. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I think that's a good part to start playing Flip the Book. So would you like to have a go with that? I'm ready. You're ready? I love the game. I'm ready. You're game. We love that. So we've got one, two, or three books. So you can pick one, two, or three. I'm going to go with two. Two? All right. You've got the big book. So you've got your Insight and Awareness book. So these are all written by me. Sorry. Okay. You, I know you can't see them. So we've got from one to 430, just to make it complicated. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to pick one number between yeah. that. Okay. okay. I am going to go with 37. 37. All right. And you have, so this is the paragraphs on the page. One, two, three, four. I'll go five, six, seven. Seven paragraphs to pick from. One to seven. Four. Four. Just making sure I don't read out the wrong one for you, which I, I, I did to one somebody once. That wasn't good. So your soul's consciousness. So that's the truth. I call your soul's consciousness the truth of who you are, your authenticity. So the essence of who you are. So your soul's consciousness communicates through feelings. Acknowledging your feelings is to acknowledge yourself as a soul. Your soul's consciousness understands life as a part of your soul journey. I actually can feel your system like you really like that acknowledge your feelings is to acknowledge yourself as a soul. Do you, do you like that statement? I do, and I think it fits perfectly. I think yeah. it is perfectly aligned with what we've been talking about. And what you're trying to do, mm -hmm. even with your, with your academy. Yeah. You want everyone to to feel that they can express themselves and be themselves. Yeah, yeah. and to be seen. Yeah. I, one of the most important things that I think we can do, and, the, and this kind of goes back to the humanity question, is to just see another person, yeah. not with not with our expectation of well, what they need to be, but to see a person for who they are and where they're at in their story. I think that's one of the most powerful tools we can do just as as people as teachers and even as students you know because I, I believe in lifelong learning too and and I think those are all really just powerful pieces and and bringing every the world together I I agree and it's and it is the uniqueness within someone shines when we acknowledge them as for me, it's a soul in a physical body, but, it, you know, if you just acknowledge their uniqueness or their authenticity, it, it allows them permission to be themselves. And it also gives you permission to be yourself. And then all of a sudden you've got a, a deeper connection and a deeper um, conversation potentially. Or and, and everyone's standing a little bit taller yeah. You know, I just, it's, there's like a confidence that comes from it. And it w it's been really interesting kind of seeing the institution before we left the competitive space and the institution after we left the competitive space. But 
and and we lost several people. You know, we had staff leave, we had students leave that really were competition driven, and we weren't going to change their mind. And, and you know, not so pay. That's just a misalignment. That's that's them. And what it did do is it just generated so many people that subscribe to the culture that we have created. And when you have this really authentic community where everyone sees and accepts each other for who they are and where they're at on their journey, it just sets like this really beautiful boundary for how we're going to coexist in this space. And I think everybody grows because of it. Yeah. And it becomes about what is in common, like the right. dance is in common. Yes. So, the performance. The so then you can really focus on, on the beauty of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like what you've set up. It, it feels it feels like it is an evolution. It is, and there's there are still outliers. Like yeah. I I feel like I made it sound like you know very Nirvana, and, but there there are still those times when you know people want to push or challenge or you know that that kind of break our code of conduct and and you have to stay firm in that. Like I do believe like when you're moving forward with a vision and you're creating something that you stand for, the boundaries are really important too. Yeah. That's that sounds um yeah. Human nature is not always pretty. It's not <laughs> <laughs> I like that you whispered that. <laughs> it's not it's so messy and there's no um there's no like how to guide for no. you know, every situation you're going to encounter. Like you kind of just have to take it as it comes. Yeah. Well, you sound like you're doing a really good job. So keep it up. Thank you. And I want to thank you for being on the on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a joy.